Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Vavel Formula One Lights Out podcast. It's been two weeks since we last spoke to you. Uh, we've got Monaco to talk about, and then we're looking ahead to Baku, which is coming up this weekend. So we've got a street circuit special, uh, if you like, two completely different circuits as well, which we're going to get onto later, but both around the streets are two very famous and historic cities. But before that, let's go back to Monaco, um, probably more historic and a bit more famous than Baku in, in Azerbaijan. Um, we saw one of the most, I would say, tame Monaco Grand Prix that we've seen in, in previous years. Um, you can probably count on one hand the amount of overtakes that were made. Um, Joshua Fletcher, Callum McAvoy and Callum Owen, all the, all the regulars are here to talk um, about it with me. Um, we'll start off with our predictions that we made in the last episode. Um, like I said, a fairly tame Grand Prix, not much happened. Most of the moves were made in the pit lane, uh, if, if we're being honest. Um, all three of us predicted with um, Verstappen to finish first. So I don't think we really need to talk about that one because Red Bull were just a class of everybody else at the weekend and, and kind of just flew off into the distance. Um, in second place, I had Charles Leclerc, which is, I think, the first talking point to to come on to. Um, and I've got DNS written next to him. Not even an F, it's a DNS. Didn't even start the race. Had that crash in qualifying. Um, we think that some of the kind of withstanding damage, um, although it wasn't a gearbox problem, was it, that, that was reported, but we think some of the kind of withstanding damage from that crash is part of the reason why he didn't start the race. Joshua... We've never seen Charles Leclerc finish a Formula One race in Monaco. How gutting would that be for him? Yeah, especially sort of from being from being from that country, it's it's the sort of one that you want to impress in, don't you? Sort of your home Grand Prix, and we sort of seen Lewis do so well at Silverstone, and he's, I think it's just cursed for him, isn't it? He sort of he's had different teams race there, he's had different opportunities. He, he was looking likely to stick it on the front row, um, maybe Paul, maybe not, but. <laughs> It's just, it's so unfortunate. And he, uh, Ferrari, sorry, looked very good in qualifying and the race sort of signs was up there in P2 in the end. And he looked good and he's, he's made a mistake. And he sort of, get that out of sort of, another, in a couple of years, I think he'll, we'll see him win a Monaco Grand Prix. But it's, it's just so unfortunate for him. But I think it sort of ruined Saturday. Sort of, you were like, mm. like that last 10 seconds, you're like, right, what's going to happen? Sort of, there's three cars who could do it. And then someone sticks it in the wall with it. It just ends. It's a bit, bit of a disappointment. Mm. And I think we can probably all agree here that it wasn't a tactical crash, as some people were suggesting, that he put it into the wall to bring out the red flags and, and stop everybody else, because, you know, he was pushing uh, as well as everybody else was. And um, it would have been very interesting to see, you know, where he would have finished had that qualifying session had ended properly. Um, Callum M, I'm going to come to you. Um, I was gutted, to be fair, to see that he couldn't start the race because... I was thinking about being sat here right now with a smug look on my face, having Charles Leclerc finished on the podium uh, with Callum and Josh not even bothering um, to put him on the podium. But how refreshing was it to see a Ferrari or Ferrari being so quick around the, around Monaco? Oh, it was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, uh, you all saw the practice results and you know, it, it looked like Ferrari had a lot of serious pace and were going to challenge near the front. And then, yeah, heartbreaking to see uh, Leclerc not start. Um, and as well, so like you could, I think it was even more heartbreaking because they said he was going to start, and then uh, literally half an hour before he had to pull out. So, uh, really, really gutting. But yeah, good to see Ferrari uh, having a strong season so far. And Calamo, we know you're not a member of the Ferrari team. You're not an engineer. You're not an expert. But why do you think that call was made for for Leclerc to start the race um, without making any kind of changes to anything in, on the car? Well. It was, he crashed on his right side 
and the problem was found at the rear left of the car so I'd imagine and they've come out and said it was just they didn't think to check it because it was obvious they had quite a lot of stuff to do he absolutely wrecked his car so I'd imagine they left out checking uh, that area of the car and as he got around the grid round towards the grid they realised the problem by which point it was just too late mm. yeah and I think as we've all said, gutting for him. And I think he probably would have gone on to finish on the podium, if not even win the race. You know, we saw how aggressive Verstappen was at the start towards Bottas. And I'm sure Leclerc would have rebated that um, if, if he'd have actually managed to start from the front row. Um, the next talking point that we're going to come on to um, is his teammate who managed to get himself on the podium. Um, and we were talking about that with uh, Callum M saying how, how refreshing it was. But um, I really liked at the end of the race where uh, Sainz and Norris uh, did that interview, I think, with David Coulthard. And um, they were having a good bit of banter, which, which was nice to see, wasn't it, Joshua? Yeah, I mean, it's always good to see sort of relationships from sort of former teammates carry on once they've moved in new directions. And I think we all knew as F1 fans the relationship was quite good between them. Obviously, Netflix didn't necessarily show that in the best light and manufactured it to cause some drama. But I think we know the relationship. I think Lando spoke about it I mean, numerous times. Um, yeah, and it's, it was a nice podium, I think, in the end, wasn't it? Sort of, it's good, some good characters on there, all fully deserving. And Norris as well having a brilliant season and Ferrari looking, looking good. I didn't necessarily expect them to be this good, but yeah, it was good to see that those two back on the podium together um, and in good spirits. And then um, Callum M, um, I'm sure you probably would have done this had you been here on the last episode, but myself, Joshua and, and Callum O all predicted Perez to finish third. Um, he finished fourth, but I think we can all say it was an impressive weekend for him in terms of the way, disappointing qualifying ninth, but the way he came back in the race and, and we were talking about after Spain that Mercedes may have the strategic advantage over Red Bull. That could be the one thing that they've got over them at the minute. But Red Bull obviously outdid Mercedes with the strategy um, on, on uh, two weeks ago on Sunday. Um, how good was that to see Perez make that comeback? And, and do you think that kind of shows that Red Bull have got what it takes to be able to beat, beat Mercedes as well? Yeah, I mean, I've said it on the pod before. I'm a huge fan of Perez. I've had him down to win nearly every Grand Prix this season, which so far hasn't happened. Um, but no, yeah, as you said, Red Bull criticised a lot, especially in Spain, for not getting their strategy right. But they absolutely nailed it. And I think that's the real key battle this year. It's not necessarily Hamilton v. Verstappen. It's Red Bull v. Mercedes. They're each going to take it in turns to have a better weekend. And the Red Bull came out on top this time. And Calamo, do you think maybe... This is a question we've, we've asked before, but that Perez is still going to be used as a tool by Red Bull, as, 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 a, as a tool to, to use a strategy that benefits Verstappen, if you like, or do you think he'll be thinking, yeah, I want to go and challenge for race wins. I, I don't want to be helping Verstappen win the championship. What, what do you think? How do you think that dynamic is going to, going to pan out? I'm sure if it was down to Sergio Perez, he'd be the lead driver, putting it on pole and fighting for wins every week. But when you've got Max Verstappen as your teammate at Red Bull who have brought Verstappen up and he's the key member of that team, I think you have to be realistic as a second driver and know that maybe isn't going to be the case. And I think considering how close he came to losing an F1 drive last year, Perez will be more than happy with where he's ended up. He just, I still think he's probably a way off what Red Bull expect from him though. Because if you look at a weekend like this, the second driver for Red Bull, you probably expect him to qualify minimum of fourth. And in a weekend where two cars ahead of fourth retire, 
the only car not retiring being Max Verstappen, the other Red Bull. You could have been looking at Red Bull one two had Perez started his well had Perez done his qualifying better. So I think there's still a way to go for Perez. And then Joshua, let's talk about um, what Perez kind of caused behind him um, with Gasly and uh, Vettel getting ahead of Lewis Hamilton and, and Mercedes having a disaster, you probably could say, in the pit lane this weekend with, with Bottas, who we'll come on to a little bit later on. But we know you're a massive kind of Hamilton fan, Joshua. So how did it feel to, to see what happened with, with that kind of failure of strategy, if you like? It was, it was not surprising, I think. I think you look at it, you look at the whole session and the whole weekend it was very disappointing for Mercedes sort of you don't expect Lewis Hamilton to qualify that far down the grid in a championship winning car from like team from last season and favourites to do it again um it just didn't go their way I don't know what it was whether he was wasn't feeling it just off the pace whereas he's fallen out of love with Monaco but Bottas put it so high in qualifying so I don't know if you can put it down to the car what it is but Mercedes messed it up and we all laughed at Red Bull when they when they gave it away and Mercedes did the same this weekend. And um, it's a fair game, isn't it? I think you might be a Hamilton fan, but f- f- most importantly, we're all F1 fans rather than team, fans of individual teams. So, I mean, it was great for the race. It was great for the, the event that you had the world champion so far down and you had Vettel out of form, Gasly above him, Paris above him. His teammate didn't even finish. So it's... Just complete and utter disaster. You're right for Mercedes this weekend, but as a, as a racing fan, it was it was quite in, interesting, and exciting to watch. And uh, Callum M, do you think that you know we all saw Hamilton getting you know really frustrated in the car? You know the team radio messages were constantly coming out. You know how has this happened? How am I still behind these guys? Do you think maybe? His anger maybe got a little bit the be- the better of him. I know you can't ever take around Monaco, but do you think he maybe could have finished or, or, or taken a couple of, of places back um, if he'd have maybe just kept his cool and and kind of just forgotten about it, moved on? Right, I'm going to get these places back. Or do you think it probably just would have been the same story because of how few overtakes we saw in the Grand Prix as a whole? I think the latter there because you know there was only two overtakes in the whole Grand Prix. So I think we all know Mercedes have the quickest car on paper just about from Red Bull, but the fact that he couldn't get past either Gasly or Vettel just shows how bad Monaco is for overtaking. Uh, and he had a right to be frustrated. It was a, a very unusual like situation he found himself in. You know, the undercut typically works. So, yeah, I would have been very confused and angry if I was him in that situation. Hmm. And Calamo, I think sat at home on our sofas or in our chairs or wherever we were sat, we were all very, very frustrated um, just after that pit stop happened as uh, Vettel came out of the pit lane and, and he was going wheel to wheel with Gasly up the hill. And then we saw Lance Stroll going over a curb and we had no idea what had happened. What, what, what was going on there? What was, how were you feeling when that happened? And, you know, this kind of just complete mess up of the TV coverage. I think I think you can tell that every other race on the F1 calendar is directed by F1. Whereas in Monaco, for whatever reason, they feel as though they have to give it to uh, another another set TV directors who evidently do not watch F1. Because Monaco's hard to overtake and it's been a hard race for overtaking. You see two cars going wheel to wheel. It's the only thing any fans want to see. We don't care about Lance Stroll in eighth, ninth, going over a curb. Considering we'd already seen the reef, we saw it when it happened. So there was really just no need for it and it did ruin what could have been the moment of the race 
Yeah, it, it was a real shame. And I think some really good stuff has come out of it. Some, some good humour has come out of it as well. Some of the kind of iconic moments are now being kind of cut up with this Lance Stroll going over the curb on, on Twitter and stuff like that. So, so they've been quite funny to watch over the last two weeks um, with kind of the lack of things that have been happening in Formula One, like no news or anything has come out at all. It's been a quiet few weeks um, and I'm sure it'll be a, a, a quiet and lonely. Um, it's been a quiet and lonely few weeks for Valtteri Bottas, Joshua. Um who just seems to be the most unlucky driver in maybe not the history of Formula One, but certainly on this grid this season, you know, that, that wheel nut that just would not come off that car. Um, you know, surely you have to have been feeling, feeling for him at that point. Yeah. I mean, it sort of came on and you, you didn't know how to react. Well, at least I didn't. I just sat there in complete enough disbelief that Mercedes had somehow butchered it again. And with him, it doesn't seem to happen with Hamilton. You don't seem to see him have terrible pit stops. And then he sort of, well, he didn't get going after sort of five, ten seconds. You just thought, is there any point in racing? You can't overtake. You're going to finish, what, 19th or whatever it was anyway. So retire the car, see what the issue was. And it ended up taking like four days or something ridiculous. or Not four days, but took a while to actually figure out what happened. So it, it was... It was interesting. It's a talking point. It's another sort of good, th- a, a interesting thing to come out and talk about with with what was basically a procession of a race. But again, it's it's just a shame for him. But Mercedes need to fix up, or else they're going to lose this constructors and drivers championship. Um, which would as race fans would be really interesting to see that domination period end. But I don't think that's what they want to see necessarily. Mm. I think Lewis Hamilton's mentioned it quite a lot that mistakes are probably going to decide this championship. I think, you know, he, he said if we make less mistakes and Red Bull will win it and, and if Red Bull make more mistakes than us, you know, sure, it's in our hands to lose kind of thing. Um, do you think that's going to be the case, Callum M, or do you think there's going to be something else that's going to kind of separate them in terms of maybe pace or, or that strategic advantage that one team may have or the other? Or do you think it's just going to be whoever makes the least mistakes will win this championship? I think it will come down to mistakes, as Hamilton said. You've got to think back to the 2018-2017 title race between Vettel and Hamilton. Um, Vettel went into the halfway point of the season ahead on both occasions and then just kept making mistakes, and Ferrari kept making mistakes. And Mercedes just kept their cool and went through to win the whole thing quite easily. So, yeah, I think it is going to come down to individual errors. We don't know how much car development is going to happen from now to the end of the season, because most of the teams are focusing on next year when all the rules uh, change. So, yeah, I think, as you say, it will come down to mistakes. Just a quick note on how long it took to get Bottas's wheel off. Uh, apparently, it was 43 hours and 15 minutes it took wow. before they finally removed it. Um, and that was after all the other teams attempting to uh, get it off as well, which is quite funny. Really? So so they, um... Apparently, Ferrari tried, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, Ferrari yeah. had a go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they take it? So they, they left it at the racetrack for, for that. It was in Monaco for that long before it actually came off. Or did it go back to the factory to be removed, do you know? Or? I, I don't know, but um, 
I quite like the idea that they just had to leave it in Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> the car's just still sat there now and they've made a new one yeah. back in. It's just in the museum or something. I uh, love it. Um, to be fair, the one thing I did predict with Mercedes is I kind of did predict there would be a disaster. I mean, I said in the last episode there would be a, a Mercedes collision into Turn 1 and, and obviously that didn't happen, but it did go wrong for them. Um, I'm also never going to predict lots of action ever again um, because I called for some reason. I thought it would be funny to say that there would be five safety cars in the race. Um, and we didn't have a single one, um, which is like the first time we've not had a safety car in Monaco. In like, was this something like nine of the last ten Grand Prix have had a, have had a safety car before um, twenty twenty one? So just unbelievable that that didn't happen. Um, the last thing I want to touch on um, is Joshua. You predicted that um, Russell was going to get into Q three um, and score points. He ended up not doing that and finishing fourteenth. Um, do you think it's it's just down to this Williams car that? it's not suited to some tracks. It's going to be suited to others, like they seem to have said for, for most of the season. It's a really hard one with Williams because they've got one well, excellent driver. It's shown that in his junior career uh, and one sort of mid-level driver sort of suits that sort of standard um, that Williams sort of have got over the last three or four years. It's in the Latifi. Um, I don't know for for a team linked with Mercedes. I know they can't copy their car, but you'd expect there'd be a bit of sort of help there or something gives. Um, I don't know. I think Williams always were going to struggle, but Russell has seemed to sort of take that car to the next level. Especially you've got sort of two rookies in a has in a fairly poor car. You've it's it looked like it, there would be a moment, and that hasn't quite come yet. Um, for Russell, which is a shame. Um, I mean, it was it was a bold. It was a, it was more of a hopeful prediction than it was going through anything sort yeah. of logically. Um, I think points would come for him. I have to come at some point. Um, whether that's in the Williams this year or the rumours linking him to Bottas's seat next year, um, it's going to come sooner rather than later. And I hope sooner. And I hope it's in the Williams just so he. He can earn it rather than sort of just being labelled as the Mercedes Prodigy Academy driver that gets a seat. Yeah. I, th- I think this season it, it will eventually come, whether it's, you know, Baku this weekend or whether it's, you know, the last race of the season in, in Abu Dhabi. But I think there's going to be a point where he'll either get into Q3 or, or will score points. And I think both are just as big, maybe a point, maybe a point finish slightly bigger. Um, and I did see the other day that on the Formula One official YouTube channel, they did like a team bosses unscripted thing. Um, and they, they asked all the team bosses, you know, if there was a driver on the grid that you could, if you could have a third driver, basically, who would it be? And all the team bosses kind of said somebody from another team or that wasn't really linked to them. And, and Toto Wolff just went George Russell and then it just cut away from him and went to the next one. So uh, I think we're going to be seeing him in a Mercedes very, very soon. Not, not reading too much into that. Um, staying down that end of the grid, going back to um, you, Calamo, is um, I saw a video on YouTube this week. I can't remember who it was by, so, so forgive me, but if you just type it in. Um, and the question was, is Nikita Mazepin improving? Um, and and we've, we joked about him last week or, or the week before saying about, you know, he's not going to make it into lap one. He's going to go out and, and stuff like that. But we're starting to see a bit more consistency in his lap times. Um, I mean, I was about to say he out-qualified Schumacher, but Schumacher didn't qualify. Um, but he did beat Schumacher in the race. Um, Calamo, do you think that Mazepin is improving or do you think this is simply just Schumacher had, had a bit of a write-off and, and had a bad weekend? I mean, Schumacher did have a, no, nothing short of a really poor weekend. He 
crashed heavily in FP3, so he missed qualifying. And in the race, he had a, uh, it was a fuel issue, which is why he ended up behind Nikita Mazepin. But Mazepin had no real incidents all weekend, which for him and for Haas is a positive. The first time Monaco in an F1 car, to have no incidents is a positive. As for is he improving? I mean, I guess yes, because he's getting past lap one now. Whereas Bahrain, he made three corners and then was in the wall. So, is he improving? Yes. Is he still way off what you need to be to be even a half successful F1 driver? Yes, he's still got a fair amount of time to make. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think um, off the track as well, we've seen some kind of questionable things. I'm, I'm sure I saw, I think in the video I watched, they mentioned that um, he posted on social media something about why he was taking the knee and it, it was something different to do with why the, kind of the rest of the drivers were, which seemed to cause a bit of a stir on, on social media as well. Um, Callum, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think Mazepin is, is going to start to be a bit more consistent, a little bit more sensible? Obviously, he was letting people pass, you know, obeying blue flags and, and things like that. Do you think we're going to see him improve over the next few weeks or do you think... You know, we're just going to go back to back to square one, if you like, um, with Mazepin when we hit Baku and beyond. I hate to be horrible, but I think this is just a, a minor blip. I think we're going to see the old Mazepin back very soon. Um, <laughs> there's just there's always something happening with him every weekend, isn't there? Like uh, whether it's blue flags or just something in the practice sessions, he just gets too close to another driver. There's, there's always something going on, but. Um, yeah, hopefully he can improve because I want to see a, a fully competitive grid and it's kind of, it, it sometimes feels like it's 19 drivers and Nikita Mazepin, so hopefully he'll improve, but I fear this is just a one-off. Hmm. Well, well, I guess we'll have to see over the next few weeks and, and into the summer whether, whether he does improve and, and you know, becomes a bit more sensible. Um, the interesting story to come out, um, you said about 19 drivers and Nikita Mazepin is, um, I've been following Formula 2 quite a lot this season and they had a driver called Alessio De Leda, um, who was outside of the, the 107% kind of time limit that you have to be in um, and, and they still let him race and, and that was causing quite a lot of controversy. So maybe he was kind of having a Mazepin moment in Formula 2. Um, I don't think we're going to be seeing him in Formula 1 anytime soon. Um, anyway, the last thing I want to mention, uh, Joshua, is uh, my two boys, um, Sebastian Vettel and Antonio Giovinazzi. I picked them up on the podcast. Not more Vettel than Giovinazzi, um, but I picked them up on the podcast a little bit and they both finished in the top 10, which uh, allows me to sit here with a bit of a smug face. Yeah, um, they did well. I think you look at uh, Giovinazzi, especially the Alfa Romeo early parts of qualifying, looked good. Uh, they haven't looked good for a while. Um, Vettel, I, I don't know whether it's going to be sustainable. I don't know whether it's going to last for the rest of the season. It was just a strange race, wasn't it? Um, and he's an experienced driver. He knows Monaco. He sort of knows how to deal with it. Whereas you look at a lot of the drivers in that grid, it's, it's quite an ex inexperienced grid in terms of it with any... Sort of didn't race at Monaco last year. It's been it's been a while. Um, yeah, you can have your moment. I don't know. I don't know how many more you'll get with um, Vettel with across the rest of the season. But um, good weekend for him, and ni nice to see like an experienced driver find his form again, regardless of feelings of of Hamilton and Vettel and that rivalry. Mm. 
I think it's probably fair to say at the start of the season, fifth place is kind of where we expect that Aston Martin card to be finishing consistently, um, which is not what they've been doing at all this season. And, and Stroll finished down in eighth, which is okay, I guess, for them. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe just a, a, the start of improvement for Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel. And the Giovinazzi one as well. The Ferrari did well, um, you know, throughout the weekend. So, it, so it's no surprise to see a, a Ferrari-powered Alfa Romeo doing okay as well. Um Let's move on then to this weekend. We've got Baku is, is where we're heading into Azerbaijan. Another street circuit, um, completely different to Monaco. High speed, 90 degree corners. Um, Callum M, just just give us your thoughts on kind of the circuit of, of Baku. And, and do you like it? I, I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not. I'm curious to see what you guys think. But um, I think Baku is a better version of Monaco um, in the way that... You know, you've got a lot of greats. It's a very tricky circuit. It's a very tricky circuit for the drivers and the cars. But unlike Monaco, you can actually overtake in certain places. So mm-hmm. I quite like it for that. Um, I don't think it's a particularly amazing circuit necessarily. But, but I actually think it's it, it's, a, it's a better Monaco, say it quietly. Mm. I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's you've got all the elevation changes in Monaco, which you don't quite have in Baku, or they're not quite as obvious in Baku. Um, Callum, what, what are your thoughts on, on what Callum just said? Is it just a better Monaco, do you think? Um, I think it's different to Monaco because it's a lot more high speed and there's a lot more in Monaco, as is gen, um, generally a, proces- a bit of a procession. If you start on pole, chances are you'll end up there. Whereas in Baku, especially with that long straight, multiple DRS zones, there is a chance that you will that you will miss out and you'll see overtakes. So to call it a better Monaco is correct, but I also think it's it's a different sort of beast compared to Monaco. Hmm. I think the only thing with me is, is there's a lot of straight line, 90 degree corner, straight line, 90 degree corner. You've obviously got the section by kind of like the castle where, where obviously Leclerc um, threw it in the wall, you know, with a massive bit of, it wasn't even understeer, he just didn't break properly, did he? Um, and, but a lot of it is kind of 90 degree rights after a long straight. Joshua, what, what do you think? Are we going to see some better or much better racing this weekend than we did in Monaco? Yeah, I think it's been summed up pretty well. I think Monaco is, it's a parade really, isn't it? And it's, it's there for the history. It's not there for the, for the quality racing. Whereas you look at Baku and there's a lot more memorable moments in terms of racing moments, you you don't have to look very far back to sort of see battles between Vettel and Hamilton. He just sort of smashed into them for no reason. Um, the Red Bulls fighting, fighting it out. Leclerc, we've mentioned. Grosjean. There's a lot of good moments there in terms of the racing. Um, that's what fans enjoy, really. And it's we love the overtaking. We love high speed. We love. We don't love crashes, but if there's if there's some contact. It makes it a bit more exciting. Um, it, again, it's hard to compare it directly to Monaco, but you're right. It's, if you look at street circuits, it's the it's the most exciting one between those two. Hmm. And Callum, I'm, I'm going to put. A, it might be a tough question. It might be a, a really easy question for you. But if if you're the the Formula One scheduling person, um, I don't know who that is. Um, would you replace? Um, Baku with Monaco uh, would you replace kind of yeah have Baku instead of Monaco on the calendar uh, um, <laughs> I knew that I, would happen <laughs> I'm probably more of a fan of Monaco than most people so I would say if I had the choice of the two I would probably keep Monaco 
um, for for other reasons as well, political reasons, I guess as well. But um, mm. yeah, I, but I'm more of a Monaco fan than most people. I would not begrudge anyone who's like, nah, back, you should stay. So, and Calamo and 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 Joshua, your thoughts on that one? Um, n- no, because I think Monaco Monaco is just a different. It's a different event, and it sort of stands out to the crown jewel with the F1 calendar. Um, and I think I just think to replace it with a race like Baku doesn't do Monaco enough justice. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If, if I had to pick, I'd, I'd pick Monaco. Um, but uh, why can't we have both? They're both they're both completely different races, and we enjoy them both for different reasons. Um, but if it, if it came down to it and one had to go, uh, I I race at Monaco every year. Yeah, I agree, and I, I've always I've talked a little bit about the F1 games as well. I think um, Monaco is obviously much harder on there. Back is a, a lot easier, um, and, and obviously we've only been going there what five or six years, maybe even less than that now. And we've already seen some some pretty entertaining stuff there, which is which is good. Um, I just want to mention as well the uh, the Sky Sports news reporter um, for Formula One, Craig Slater. Um, he's out in Baku this weekend for them, um, and it, we've kind of all talked about how how our, our dream job would be to work be working as like a journalist or in the media in, in Formula One and being paid to do that. Um, and he's obviously there this week. He's reporting on the Euros. Um, he's going to be in Baku for, for the Grand Prix, and then he's staying there to report on the Euros for, for Sky, which. Um, Sounds like my dream kind of job, to be honest. Um, let's move on then to um, our predictions for the weekend, starting with you, uh, Callum O. Um, are we going to see an entertaining race? And um, what's your kind of podium prediction for the weekend? Um, yeah, I think I think we will see an entertaining race. And uh, maybe, I mean, compared to Monaco, yes. In the grand scheme of things, still yes, but it will have, won't be one of the best we've had this year. In terms of my podium... It's difficult because Red Bull are in form. There's a lot of debate about this flexi wing. But Mercedes have been historically very good around Baku. I'm gonna I'll include my wild card in this. My wild card is that Valtteri Bottas will take pole. Ooh. And I think he'll convert it into a race win. Um we'll, and then we'll see Ham- Hamilton second, Verstappen third. Just I feel the Mercedes are strong around Baku, sort of historically, and they'll be looking to come back after a shocking Monaco. So I think Bottas, he's been the main talking point of probably the past three years. 2017, his charge from the back. Um, 2018, getting a puncture from the lead right at the end, and obviously winning it last time we were there in 2019. So that's my prediction. Bottas from Hamilton from Verstappen. I think with me, I'm, I'm reverting back to type. I, I agree with you. I think Mercedes are going to be really fired up um, after a, a terrible Monaco weekend. I think it would be great to see Bottas win it because um, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but we've only seen Verstappen and Hamilton win the races this year, haven't we? Um, so my, my podium is, is Hamilton followed by Verstappen and Bottas. I think we're going to we're going to go uh, back revert back to type with that one. Um, Callum M, what about you? What's what's your podium prediction for the weekend? Uh, I'm playing devil's advocate again, which I, I love to do. Uh... <laughs> Um, Perez win. Surprise. No, not Perez win, actually. Perez, I got Perez second. Um, Valtteri Bottas will somehow get a podium and finish third. And I'm going Lando Norris to win. In oh, I love it. Uh, I, love I reckon. It. Talk, talk to us about reckon, that. Yeah. Um, it, he's looked really quick, obviously, the last few 
uh, Grand Prix, um, been on the podium a few times this season. I think now could be the chance for the win. And I get the feeling it's back who something might happen between Verstappen and Hamilton. Uh, whether they crash, whether it's a, a pit stop error again, I don't know. If there's any craziness to be happening, it's going to happen in Baku. So, yeah, mm. Norris, Perez, Bottas uh, is my podium. I think to see a different Brit win as well as, as, as we all are, to see not Lando win would, would be awesome. And, and uh, yeah, that, that would just be fantastic. Joshua, you've got to come up with something special to top that one. Uh, give us your prediction, please. Uh, well, I think Verstappen's going to win again. I think it's the first time in, God, six, seven years or something crazy like that that Mercedes haven't topped Constructors' Championship. Um, I th- he'll be fired up. He's, he's got the opportunity now. He's he's in charge. It's only four points or six, whatever it is. But he's in charge. It's it's his to as it stands. It's it's his to lose. Um, and I th- I think he'll be desperate to to prove a point and sort of say, oh, it wasn't just down to. Mercedes poor strategy or mistakes and it's mm-hmm. he's a good driver so I've gone Verstappen Hamilton Leclerc um, I said Ricardo would outscore Lando um, and again I, I think there'll be a crash between Hamilton and Verstappen Ham, like there's always some sort of drama between either one of those two sort of I mentioned earlier um, Vettel and Hamilton it wasn't really a crash Hamilton sort of so down under the safety and um, around the corner and Vettel just smashed into the back of him and then into the side of him. Um, we obviously saw Ricardo and Verstappen um, at Renault, both a Red Bull. Something's going to happen, I think, it between, be between those two. Um, but I was interested today. What do you think about that Verstappen and Ricardo crash a few years ago? Because I've seen a lot of repeats of that recently in the build-up to it. So I was wondering what you thought of... Who was in the wrong at that one? Uh, Verstappen for me move twice under braking so um yeah as soon as he moved back over to cover the inside ricardo lost downforce and he was not going to be able to stop man i i, I agree i thought i thought this was clearly at fault but again it's i mean i don't think that went down very well at red bull but it's there's a lot of big moments and something has to give again and those two fight out down the straight you never know you never know. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And I think um, Netflix really bigged that crash up as well, didn't they? In, in kind of traditional Netflix style. So uh, maybe we'll get something like that again this time out. Um, I think I've been wanting everyone for their podiums. And, and this is going to make a cracking start to our next episode because we've all gone for a different winner. Um, I've gone for Hamilton. Uh, Joshua's gone for Verstappen. Uh, Callum M has gone for Lando and uh, Callum O has gone for Bottas so we've all gone for kind of completely different podiums um, and winners which is going to make an interesting start to next week's episode and the last thing I want to ask obviously Callum we've already had um, your kind of wild prediction I think Um, so Joshua let's go for your one first please yeah I'm struggling with this one just for the sake of being different I think his poor form has to come to an end at some point and Daniel Ricciardo will finish above Lando Norris in the race on Sunday. 
yeah, it's been a strange one so far at McLaren. So, so um, it would be nice to kind of, well, it would be nice to see that happen. But I think it would be nice for Ricardo to to get one up on Lando, which he's he struggled to do this season. And um, mine's also a little bit boring. We've not really seen much of Yuki Tsunoda since he scored his first points um, in Bahrain all that time ago. Um, I think he's going to be back on it this weekend. I think he's going to get a fairly decent points finish, maybe fifth or sixth, something like that. But we'll have to see how that Alpha Tari Alpha Tari goes. Uh, Callum, let's come to you then for your uh, wild prediction as well for the weekend. Uh, Esteban Ocon to out uh, to finish ahead of both Ferraris. I like it. It's an interesting one. I like it. Um, Callum M, your your reaction to to those kind of wild predictions? Do you see any of them happening? Um, Apart from your own, <laughs> uh, I think that they're all feasible. Really, anything can happen in Baku. I mean, I, I know I've been quite wild with Norris winning. I also wrote down half the drivers won't finish. Which uh, I don't Dead know. If that's wild or real- I don't know if that's wild or realistic. To be honest, it's a bit of both, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think anything. I honestly think anything could happen this weekend. And Joshua, you actually mentioned, I think, before we came on air, you were saying about you were looking at some of the previous results and saying how many drivers haven't finished in, in the previous years. Do you think we're going to get a repeat of that? And do you think maybe my five safety car prediction that I made for for Monaco might be a bit more realistic for this weekend? I think it's definitely more realistic. I think I think last time we raced there, there was four DNFs and only about nine drivers ended up sort of in the classification without being lapped. Um, so again, I think I think there'll be some drama. I think the top teams will dominate. There'll be some mistakes. Um, there'll be a, one or I think two or three safety cars maybe at the at max. I think five's a push unless we see red flags and all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I think we we're more on track to see a couple more safety cars and and half the grid finish maybe. <laughs> good, good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. And, and I've seen a lot of Formula One um, content on Twitter this week on Instagram of past moments in Baku. Lots of action there, and, and Formula Two as well are there this weekend, and they've been posting lots of stuff. So it should be an exciting weekend of racing. Um, I said that before we went to Monaco, and look what happened. So let's hope this time uh, my command or, or wish comes true um, should I say thank you very much to Joshua Callum and Callum for being here it's been a, another fantastic chat um, we'll be back obviously we've made some fantastic predictions and, and completely different predictions so there'll be lots to talk about um, hopefully after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix um, we'll be back in two weeks time um, ahead of the French Grand Prix where we're also going to see Roman Grosjean back in the Mercedes obviously not in the race um, but he's obviously going to be parading around so that'll be a great moment for him so yeah uh, we'll be back um, just before the 18th uh, to the 20th of June which is when um, the French Grand Prix is taking place and then we're getting into to my favourite part of the calendar the summer months we've got Austria coming up uh, twice uh, we're going to Britain we're going to Spa we're going to the Netherlands we're going back to Monza as well so I'm looking forward to the summer um, and, and we're getting into kind of my favourite mid part of the season um, so yeah thanks very much to everybody who's listened who's watched if you're on YouTube make sure to, to hit the like button subscribe to the channel and, and all that good stuff tell your mates about us and, and get them listening and get them into to some Formula One chat if you're on uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify whatever make sure you follow and, and subscribe to us on there and, and leave us a review if your app allows you to um, once again thanks very much to Josh Callum and Callum um, as I said we'll see you ahead of the French Grand Prix uh, check all our stuff out as well on Babel.com forward slash motorsports follow us on Twitter at F1 Babel I think that's pretty much everything uh, yeah, so thanks it. very much <laughs> until next time we will see you all later bye bye <laughs>